For since the law has but is but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw that draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Now when he said, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Father, those words just echo in my mind over and over again. You will remember our sins no more. And it's not because of anything that we become come other than your children because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that as Pastor Chris comes and speaks these truths from your word that, that you prick our hearts. That you break our hearts for what breaks yours that we desire more, more than just empty sacrifices that we can bring, but you desire obedience, even the intents of the heart. You desire obedience. Father, I pray that we become more and more a people who love you and love one another and love your word and follow in obedience to your will, just as your son Jesus did. May we have the mind of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.
Well, good morning. We're here to celebrate Jesus. Are you guys excited about that? All right, praise the Lord, right. Man, God is so, so good to us. And today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. But just to catch you up to speed, this is sort of the, the finishing touches of this next section that the author of Hebrews has been working on. And so I want you to imagine, I don't know if you've been here for a while, you notice we filled in another button over here on the side, right? And because what we're trying to do is build out in our mind this sort of case for who Jesus is and how we know he is the Messiah. So I want you to imagine that if I was to come up and like hit this button, like boop, that in your mind would come out these things, right? That, that's a greater than symbol. Remind us that Jesus is greater. He is better. What is he better than? He's better than the angels. He's greater than Moses, the one who actually brought the law to them. Right? He's greater than Joshua, who led them into the promised land and led them into that rest. So we should think Jesus is greater. Right? This is kind of a reminder to us. But we have a new button. We have a new sort of switch in our mind to have. And so if I were to come over and like, boop, hit that one, right, we would now have this new Idea. Now, you might be thinking, well, what does this symbol even mean? Well, it's pointing up. It's like an arrow pointing up for he is the great high priest. But if you're like a math nerd, it's actually a carrot symbol, which is symbolizing an exponent, which means that it's lifted up and it's to the power, right? So there's a little math nerdness in there. But um, it's also supposed to be the tabernacle. You have these four lines in front and representing a tent, because remember, the tabernacle was this picture of Jesus in the Old Testament that pointed us towards someone greater is coming. Someone greater than tabernacle is on their way, right? And so we, when we think about this, he is the great high priest, what does that bring to our mind? That he's greater than Melchizedek, right? This strange, mysterious character that showed up in the Bible. He's greater than him, right? That he's bringing in a better covenant for us. The first covenant, the law and the sacrifice has gone away. And there's a new covenant through grace and through faith in Jesus Christ, the one atoning sacrifice for our sins, right? And then he is that perfect sacrifice for all, for all time, for all people. And that's what we're talking about today. We're kind of closing up. Now, wouldn't it be cool if you had buttons like this all the time? Like, if you didn't know how to play the car, guitar, you might be like, oh, here's Bickham's guitar. Like, boop, and then a button would come up, and it'd be like, history of this car. This is a new guitar because Refuge broke his other one in half from a basketball that hit it. But anyway, um, or it gives you like a little video, and you can hit the button, and it teaches you how to play or teaches you how to play the chords. Wouldn't you like to have a button on Ray Confer who plays guitar? Like, you're like, boop, during worship, like, fireworks go off, right? Because he's just partying for the Lord up here. That'd be pretty amazing. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a button? What if you have a button like this? You hit your head and your thoughts came up. Boop. Y'all aren't excited about that one. Why are you not excited about this one? You know, like the first service, they weren't excited. Wouldn't that be wild, right? Boop. Now, I, I know what I want to happen, right? If you were to be like, boop, and then up came my thoughts, I want to have like, Jesus in bold print, and like scripture, like going through my thoughts with like Chick-fil-A instrumental music in the background, right? Worship music, like that's what I think of. Is that, is that the fact? Now, honestly, if you were to come up to me sometimes and hit my head, it'd be like, is that working? There's nothing in there. It's like a blank screen, okay? That is possible for me, all right? To have a blank screen. If you were to hit my wife, it'd look like the Matrix. She just thinks about all these things all at one time, and it all makes sense to her, and I'm like, What's going on in there, right? So for me, there's other times you would hit the button and be like, a hippo? Why, 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 is, there, why is there a hippo? Well, because Bohemoth in the book of Job is compared to a hippo, but it says he has a, a tail like a cedar. It can't be a hippo. Have you seen a hippo tail? It's like a little flap of skin. It's not even, 
that's my mind, right? My mind is just random, creative, it goes all off in all these different places, right? But what if you were to be able to take your mind and think about those thoughts, do they align with Christ? What if you were to do that with your heart? What if you're like, boop, what you're feeling comes up, right? Some of us, we have only like two or three choices in that drop-down menu, right? Anger being one of them, unfortunately, Affection. Anyway, I won't tell you all my emotions, right? But some of y'all have more emotions. What if you were to actually help, like, honey, here's how I'm feeling. Poop just pops up, right? Now, how do we align boop, this and this to Christ? That's what we're talking about today. How can we take our heart and our mind and align them to Christ and make them one, connected? Because isn't it hard to connect these things sometimes? Like, you, listen, I'll tell you the truth. I want Jesus and all this stuff in my mind. But this morning on the way here, someone was driving 28 miles an hour down the road behind hometown Kyle. And I'm like, come on. It's Resurrection Sunday. If ever I could show grace, it's Resurrection Sunday. But I'm like, no, don't honk, don't honk. Just pass them. You can't pass them. Like, it's Resurrection Sunday. All right, just pray. Lord, help this person drive faster, right? So that's, that's not the answer, right? So, but if we were to have all of our thoughts renewed and like, why was that so uh, for me this morning? Because I have an expectation, and that expectation wasn't met, right? So how do we align those things? Here's what I know. Jesus makes us a new creation, and that's the good news of the gospel message, and we find it here in these verses, this good news, switching out these old thoughts the old way of thinking and put it in, insert new, update, new way of thinking. Okay, so let's jump in. Verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. So remember, the law of Moses had like a little glimpse of how good God was. Just, just a little glimpse of it, right? But we didn't get the full picture, right? Like, for example, if you ever played this game where you have like the zoom in thing, you're like, what is this? What could it possibly be? And this is a what? Anybody know? It's a butterfly, right? So it's a butterfly. So you have a little zoomed in picture, but now you have a butterfly. But then you know the story of the butterfly, right? He's a little caterpillar, climbs up in a tree, right? And then he, all that stuff happens, the transformation into this beautiful butterfly, right? And so we see through the law, this little glimpse. We see of God a little glimpse of the good things, but we don't see it in full, right? Which, by the way, we, we shouldn't be judging by the little glimpses we see. we got to see the full picture of those things, right? So, so the law was a shadow because it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered each year, make perfect those who draw near. So listen, the sacrifices that you make, the sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament, those sacrifices will never get you to perfection, your good works, all of the reformed thoughts you're going to have, all the reformed feelings, none of that can get you to salvation. You need to look for something better. This was the whole point of the sacrificial system. The sin offerings, the guilt offerings, all those things look forward. Somebody is going to fulfill all of these things, and we know that's going to be Jesus, right? So we don't look to ourselves. We know, we know that we can't do it ourselves, right? Like if we got to a scoreboard in heaven, we all know we'd fail. You know how we know we'd fail? Diets. How many times have we tried to diet? How many times? Like, you're like, okay, I'm going to give this up. I'm going to sacrifice this. And then 
10 minutes later, you're like craving that thing, right? Like we, we know we can't do it on our own. We need help. That's why it's so good that we have a Savior like Jesus. Verse 2 says, Otherwise, would they not have ceased to have been offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. Here's what he's saying here. That if the sacrifices worked, we wouldn't worry about those sins anymore. We wouldn't let those sins define us. And isn't this true about us? Have you ever thought about how much of the things that have happened to you in the past or the things you have done in the past you still hold against yourself? That you define yourself. You let yourself be defined by your sin. I'm a liar because I've lied before or I'm broken because this has happened to me before. But the beautiful news of the gospel is this, that in Christ we are a new creation. That the past, he can rewrite our history. You understand that, right? The good news is Christ doesn't just give us hope for the future, but now when we look back on our life, we can see how good God was. Like for me in high school, losing scholarships because I, I broke my leg, I look back and go, man, praise God. It got me in the right spot at the right time. I remember I, I applied for a job in Houston back in 1999, right? Um, right before Y2K. And so I, I remember getting a chance to go and they were like, we have this job for you. As soon as you get back from your vacation, we're going to offer it to you. And then I kept waiting, and I kept waiting, and I kept waiting. I, got, I was so confident in this job, I even told my church I was leaving to go to this other job, to coach football in this other place, and there, it didn't work. When I found out I could finally leave, I was in Canada on a family trip. I couldn't get back in time. To, and the school district was like, no, you can't go. Praise God, because I've been in this community for 30 years now. I've been to see this community like grow into the community that it was. Before it was like Fonzie's and Dairy Queen. Now it's like Costco, right? So it's like everywhere there's things keep popping up, right? And so, but it's, I praise God. God has planted me here and he's kept me here even against my own desires to go do those things. God has planted me in a place to hopefully make a difference for the gospel. He's brought you here for an opportunity to make more of the gospel message as well. So we trust in him that he is going to rewrite our history, that the things that happened before we now look at them through a new lens. They don't have to define us, but it's who Christ is defines us. What he has done in us now defines us. We have a new future and we have a new hope. Because when we're defined by these lies and defined by this trauma, we feel like we have no hope. But when Christ comes in, the light of the world comes in, the darkness flees. And we have a chance to walk in that new freedom, not, not chained to those bad things that have happened to us before. We actually get to walk Ahead in this new, beautiful life, right? Look what it says next in verse 3. But these, in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of the sins every year. That the point of the sacrifice was to remind them about their sin so that we need a Savior. But listen, what we're doing here today is different. We, re we celebrate Resurrection Sunday because we're celebrating Him. We're not celebrating our sin. We're celebrating what He has done in us. So there's a new chance to celebrate. Now, I know what you're thinking, right? Boop, right, comes up, right? H how can I do that? Right? How can I do that? Like, my emotions, boom, they go pretty much from love to hate, like back and forth and back and forth and that, right? How can I live a life like Christ? How can I live a life loving others at all times? Now, listen, Jesus' love was pretty fierce sometimes, wasn't it? Have you ever thought about that? If we were to follow Christ's example, Christ was not going to just you know, look over sin because we become sort of numb to our sin, don't we? We sort of become used to our sin. 
Like, have you ever done this with your kids? Watched one of the movies you used to watch when you were a teenager? Have you ever done that? They're like, oh, I love this movie, Back to the Future. And you go in, like, within the first five seconds, there's a cuss where you're like, where did that come from? I don't remember that in the movie. Or you're like, oh, I love this movie, Caddyshack. It's so awesome. I want to show my kids. And you're like, no, you do not want to show that movie to your kids. It is not the same that you remember it back in the day. Because in our minds, right, we self-fed it. We get used to these things. We don't actually see it the way God sees it. See, Jesus was willing to call out their sin. And in fact, he was fierce about calling. Let's look at an example. Let's go back uh, to Matthew uh, chapter 23. Let's look at an example, kind of how he points them toward the Pharisees towards what the true point of the temple is. Look what he says in verse 16 of Matthew 23. Woe to you, blind guides. He's calling them blind guides. Don't follow the leader with the person that's blind and can lead you off the cliff. Right? Don't, don't follow that leader. So he's calling them, these leaders, you're blind. You can't see. You're trapped in your darkness. Who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Here's the point. They were putting their hope in this bull. They laid their hand on the bull. It became an atonement for them. Should you put your hope in the bull? Or you put your hope in the one who gives you forgiveness of sins? The one, the altar in which you put this bull on that God commanded, do we put our hope in him? Do we put our hope in man or do we put our hope in Jesus? The one true God incarnate on the earth. See, we can't, get, we can't lose hope. We can't find our hope in man. We can't find our hope in all these different things. Our hope can only be found in Jesus, the one true God. Right? And he goes on to tell them, hey, you guys are like straining a gnat out of your water, but you're drinking a camel, which is not, not good. Don't drink a camel. Okay, that's what you learn out of this one, right? right? You clean the outside of your cup, but you don't clean the inside Ooh, gross, right? You're, when you open your mouth, it's like opening a grave. The way you speak, it's disgusting. You speak death over people. And he's warning them, like, be careful. Make sure that you don't just clean the outside, that you're changed by God from the inside out, right? And Jesus is challenging them. Yeah, you look pretty. You look good. You offer stuff so everybody can see you. But the point is, are you changed from the inside? How's your heart? Boop. How's your mind? Boop. How are those things? We judge not as the world does by the outward, but we judge by the heart, right? So this is what Jesus is trying to get them at. Your heart needs to change. And that's what he's warning them about in here. So if we want to be like Jesus, let's get to the heart of the issues. Let's actually have conversation that's deep and, and rich and gets us to those points. All right, let's keep going. Um, here's what he says in verse 6. For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. 
as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And so this is a quote out of the Old Testament. As we know, we've been going through the book of Hebrews. He's always pointing back to the prophets and pointing back. So this is a quote out of Psalm 40, right? If you can go with me, turn there. Psalm 40 is this incredible psalm, right? And I want to show you the verses leading up to this quote. Look what it says here in verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. How are we doing on that? Waiting patiently on the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Here's a picture. As you're praying, as you're crying out to God, God leans in. Like he leans in. What you saying? This is a term of affection, right? You lean into those you love. You don't just like turn away, right? You lean into them. Then he says this. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Whew, isn't that good news? Like, I know I'm a little bit upset that we didn't have one service outside, but if we would have driven your cars out there, you would have been in the miry bog. There's still standing water in the crisp field out there, right? Which would have been fun. We could have pushed you out afterwards. Been really awesome. Like, take it three hours to get out, but it would have been exciting, right? And like, never forget that, that service out there, right? Um, but if you're stuck in that miry bog in life, if you feel like you're trapped in the pit of destruction, that's not a good feeling, is it? What do we do in those moments? Do we cry out to God? And here's what God says. I will be faithful to take you out and put your feet upon the rock. Put your feet on solid ground. And if you're living life like swaying and every step you take is unsteady, you're not trusting in the Lord. You're not putting your feet upon the rock. Look what he says next. He says, um, I've given you a new song in your mouth. A song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That when you get unsteady, when you get caught in that miry bog, do we trust God? Do you trust him? And it doesn't matter where you're in this process. Let's say that you've never given your life to Christ. I'm going to encourage you today. Trust in God. Put your faith in him. You're trapped in this miry bog. You have no hope but to try to crawl out on your own. What if that pit is deep? What if that trauma is scarring? How are you going to get out on your own? Trust in him. Or if you've been a Christian for 30 years, guys, there's areas of our life that we still don't trust him in. There's areas of life that we still haven't. When, when that fear comes up or those things come up, we don't trust him to walk through it. We let anxiety, we let stress, we like guilt, all these things swim over us instead of like, no, I'm on the rock. The wind comes, it's not going to knock down this house. I'm steady, I'm secure, I trust in God, regardless of the things in the world that happen, regardless of the things that happen in my life, regardless of the things that happen in the people's lives around me, I'm going to stand upon the rock. That's what he's encouraging them to do. And blessed, verse 4 says, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Don't turn to the proud to try to get you salvation. You turn to God, who had every reason to be prideful, had every reason, but he chose to be humble in the form of a servant. The God of the universe washes the disciples' feet. The God of the universe says, no, I came to serve. I came to serve. I came to die for the very ones who yell, crucify me. Whew, what a savior. What an incredible thing. Why, how can we not trust in him? How can we not put our faith completely in him? You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. You just tell the story of God. 
Tell a story about what he's doing in your life, and he's going to do even more. He's going to constantly be refreshing us in that. And then it comes to our quote, right? God is doing all these incredible things. Trust in him. Tell the story. Proclaim it to everybody. And in sacrifice and offerings, I have not delighted. But you have given me an open ear. Burn offerings and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of your book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Isn't that so good? Do you delight to do the will of God? Do you begrudgingly do what God wants you to do? Or do you delight in doing it? I don't know why it keeps coming back a picture. If I tell my kids to do the dishes, like, yes, Father. And they just run. And they're like, they, they're like, yes. And they're doing like the best job ever, right? There's no like clanging in there, like turning on the water, right? And when I get over there, it looks like a hurricane went through. There's water everywhere, right? Rinsing on, like air drying it, you know, sticking the thing, right? Or they put it in the dishwasher. Have you had that thing where I pull in the dishwasher and they like look at you and they're like, right? Right? And you're like, doesn't go there. It goes here. No, right? It just gets in this crazy cycle, right? But do we, right, do we delight in doing God's will? Am I like, Lord, thank you so much for shutting that door in my face. I can't wait to go this way. That's a different way to live. Lord, thank you for letting that person point out my sin so that I don't have to get there. Boop. Love. Right? Comes out of my heart. What typically comes out when you call out me out on my sin? What typically comes out? Raw, there's a bear, a grizzly bear. Raw, right? That's what comes out. Thoughts, all of your sin. <laughs> that's what comes out, right? Oh, you think I'm in sin? Let me tell you, right? That's what, that's what comes out of our mind. Instead of like, yes. Okay, Lord, thank you for humbling me. Right? That, that's what should come out, but that's just the reality. How do we let God permeate every area of our life so we can delight in doing his will? Well, He's got to hide his word in our heart. He's got to write it on our minds. And that's what this next section in Hebrews talks about. Let's go back to it. Um, here's what he says. When he has said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. In other words, God said, yes, I want you to do these things because they'll point forward to Jesus who fulfills all of those sacrifices, as we talked about um, last week. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. He does away with the guilt and the shame of the law, and he made one sacrifice for all. And by, the will, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then he kind of explains that to them. He says, and every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. We get caught in that loop of doing things that really don't make a difference. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. It is done. It is finished. And now he's just waiting for God to say, hey, go get him. Come back right now, Jesus. Rip the ceiling off. Let's make it happen right now. Jesus coming. He's waiting until he makes his enemies a footstool for his feet. This is a Psalm 110 quote that we keep seeing that Jesus is going to return and he's going to have the victory. And then we're going to get taken out of this world and get to experience true life with him. And if you were to circle one verse in the whole section, it'd be verse 14. 
For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Ooh, that just sums up the gospel. That Jesus Christ, for one time, a single offering, that on that day, he allowed them, for the joy set before him, he'd endure the cross. He allowed them to whip him, to put on a crown of thorns. He carried his own cross that he had even created to the place of the skull, and he died there. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. It's finished. And he gave that one single sacrifice. Why? So that we could have entry into the presence of God through him. That he is now, through our faith in him, we can see God. We can hear from God. We can experience God. We can do that if we put our faith in him. That's the good news of the gospel. And those who are being sanctified. And piece by piece, little by little, he's making us more like Jesus. Little by little. That's why we just get a glimpse of each other's life. We're at different points in the sanctification process, aren't we? We're in different points, and that's why we just love one another, encourage one another, because we're getting changed little by little to become more like Christ, to be set apart, to be holy and pleasing to God. This is the good news of the gospel that we see here. And then it finishes out in verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, so he's talking about the Holy Spirit being the one who wrote Psalm 40. So he's going to quote out of um, oh, Jeremiah 31. Sorry, we did Psalm 40. Jeremiah 31 here. He says this, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put their laws on their heart and write them on their mind. Boop, the law. We know. If we listen, we know what's right and wrong. Boop. We now have these thoughts. That when we put the word of God in our hearts and our mind, we want that to be what comes up. The first thought comes up. Now listen, I understand. We, we've immersed ourselves in a culture that does not bring up these really great thoughts in our life. I remember when I went to Hayes High School, right, and I was sitting in the hallway, and you hear all those words, those like, you know, Different words than you hear in church going by, right? When you hear all those words, when you go home, those words still bounce around in there, right? So you have to learn how do I saturate myself with the word of God to where that's the thing that comes out instead of things of the world. Now, if you live in a, in a, in a work condition that is hostile to the gospel, you got to spend more time putting the word in your heart. If you want to win the battle, you got to put more time in. To, to understand and to put these things. So that's the common thing that comes out. And God says, I'll help you. I'll write them on your heart. I'll put them in your mind. And then he adds, and I will remember their sins no more and their lawless deeds no more. Woo, isn't that good? He doesn't remember your sin anymore. That means you don't have to either. You don't have to let those things define you anymore. But it gets even deeper because look what it says next. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So let me ask you this. Who do you need to forgive? Because you remember when Jesus was teaching us how to pray, right? And in Matthew 6, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching them how to pray. Right? Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, right? Remember these kind of things we've said before. But look what this next verse says about forgiveness because it points out an interesting thing. If we believe the word, 
are we going to apply it to our life, right? If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespass. Ooh, it just got real in here. If, if I said, who have you not forgiven? Boom, picture comes up. Why? why? Why have we not forgiven them? You don't know what they've done to you. No, I don't. And I'm sorry for whatever they've done to you. But should we hold on to that? Because this, this verse says, if we won't forgive, Christ isn't going to forgive us. It means that we don't understand the depth of what Jesus has done for us, that we can't extend that to others. What an incredible Easter gift you could give to someone today by forgiving them, by cutting yourself loose from this thing that has just haunted you. For Listen, I understand this process. I've gone this, through this process with my father in a deep, dark way. We can talk about that together sometime, right? That it, it's hard to forgive, especially when that sin is great, when that offense is painful, it's really hard. But we're also hurting ourselves by holding on to it. Instead of just as Christ has forgiven us, we forgive one another. What if we, as believers in Christ, did not hold on to the grudge? What if we, what if we could forgive like Christ forgave? What if we could say, you know what? I'm going to lose in this. Just like Jesus seemed to lose on the cross, because Sunday's coming. I'm willing to take the L, because in the long run, I'm going to win the war. The war is, I want their heart to be for God. We'll work, we'll work on the sin later. We'll work on all those things later. I want their heart to be for God. How can I be a picture of unforgiveness when I claim Jesus? This is, this is the reality of the gospel. Just as Christ made a sacrifice for all, we can be an example, an ambassador of that to the world. So I want to encourage you today, when you, when you look at those thoughts for real, when you take down the little smoke screen that maybe you put in front to make everybody think your thoughts are really holy all the time, when you look behind that curtain and you see, man, I really hold on to this, don't hold on anymore. Let's lay it at the foot of the cross. Let's lay it down. Let's say, Lord, I don't want to live on my own. I want to live for you. I want to put more of my trust in you. I trust you even in this situation. I trust you even if I have to take the L. That's the gospel message. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you have been a perfect picture for us of forgiveness. That, Lord, on the cross, you said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're yelling, crucify. They're mocking him. And he still forgives them. What a picture for us. Lord, help us to break free from unforgiveness. Help us to break free from judgment. Help us to break free from all those things so we can walk as a new creation in you, Lord. Change our thoughts. Change our heart and emotions, Lord. Make us more like your son, Jesus, the perfect example for us. And so, Lord, thank you for this day where we can celebrate your victory through death on the cross. We pray this in your beautiful name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Church, thank you for coming. Thank you for starting your day and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We want to leave you with this message. We know God speaks in many ways to many different people. And you may have heard a message today, whether it's during worship or through Chris. And if you don't know Jesus, please come talk to one of us. He wants to know you. You're not here by accident. Before Martha 
came to Jesus, she was looking for him because her brother had died, Lazarus. Jesus went to her and had a conversation. And he said this to her, I am the resurrection of life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Church, take this message and give it to those outside those doors. God bless you. We love you. Have a great day.